You're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Hang around after the sermon for more information about Mission Ridge Church. Sermon notes for this message or any of our other messages can be found through our website, missionridge.church. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoy the message. We are uh, week four in the You've Heard It Said series. I started this series off saying that, uh, you know, there's all kinds of opinions of what it means to honor God, what it, what it means to, to be a Christian, what it means to uh, be pleasing in the sight of God. And there was no less opinions then. 16 times Jesus says, you've heard it said in this sermon, in these three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. 16 times, you've heard it said. So, so Jesus is setting the record straight. He's, he's communicating, this is what this kingdom that we are establishing is about. This is how we will live it out. These are the values that we will care about. You've heard it said. And I want to remind you that this is a discipleship conversation. Jesus is having a conversation with disciples. We get our definition of a disciple just a couple chapters before where we're going to land today in Matthew 4.19. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you into something. I will make you into fishers of men. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men, which gives us our working definition of what it means to, to be a disciple. A lot of churches have definitions of what it means. This is ours. It's pretty simple. Uh, it's someone that is following Jesus, someone who is being changed by Jesus, and then someone who is on mission with Jesus. This is more than just saying, uh, saying a prayer and getting wet. I think both those things are important, uh, but that is not the end all of being a Christian. We're called to follow Jesus, be changed by him. I, and that's really good news that he changes us and to be on mission with him. And last week, we looked at the portion of the sermon where Jesus said, beware of practicing your righteousness, your, your zedekah in Hebrew, before men. Don't practice. Don't practice your righteousness. Don't live out your zedekah. And, and for the Jewish mindset, the zedekah is living like Abraham. For us, it's living like Jesus. Abraham was, was, was fantastic. But Jesus is our model. He's the only perfect one. And so when we live out our zedekah, when we're living like Jesus... We're not to seek the attention of the people around us. If we do that, we already have our reward. And, and remember, I said last week that there were two different words in the Greek for reward. One had to do with like, you've earned your wage. You've already earned your wage. If you're, if you're seeking the applause of men, if you're an actor and people are applauding you and they're jumping up and down, they're clapping on your back, that, that's your full wage. But if your audience is one, if your audience is one and, and he's in heaven, then you have this 
eternal reward, this eternal inheritance, this reward that's reserved for you. It's important to notice that because Jesus is going to continue that conversation this week. So let's take a look in Matthew 6, 19. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal for where your treasure is there your heart will be also. And so he, he has this dichotomy. You got, you know, you can either, you can either pursue treasures here on earth, or you could pursue them in heaven. You can, you can invest here locally in things that will fade away, that will be destroyed, or you could invest eternally. So he's continuing that conversation. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, that's, I don't like that translation. In the Greek, it means single. We'll talk about why here in just a minute. Your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad or evil, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? If... The hope of your salvation is not really that hopeful. If the joy of the Lord really isn't that joyful. If your confidence in your salvation really isn't that confident. If the light that is in you is darkness. There, there's some parallels there. That's what Jesus is trying to get to. Then he goes on to say, no one can serve two masters for either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Now we talked about this particular passage. I think it was Logan that preached on this during the stewardship series. He spent more time on it than we will this morning. But there's a Jewish idiom at play here. And this Jew, Jewish idiom says that if you have a, an evil eye, an, in Hebrew it's ayin hara, if you have an evil eye, then you're greedy, you're stingy, you're self-centered, you're blind to the needs of others. If you have a good eye, an ayin tova, then you're generous, you're other-centered, you're recognizing the needs. But Jesus changes one of the words. Let's go to the next slide. He does bring in the evil eye. He uses the Greek word, or the Greek word is used, poneros. Uh, but instead of saying good, he says haplos, single. Okay. So if you have a single eye, Jesus is saying if you have a single eye, you have a good eye and you have one master. You're looking to serve one master. Your, your attention isn't divided. You're not half-hearted. If you have a single eye, you have a good eye and therefore 
you will have only one master, and that master will be in heaven. That's what Jesus is saying in this section. He goes on to say, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life, as to what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor for your body, as to what you'll put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow, nor reap, to, nor gather in the barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? Ironically, when we worry, it seems to detract from our life, right? <laughs> and why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow, that they do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that they are not, that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing for the Gentiles? eagerly seek all these things. Can I get an amen from all the Gentiles in the room? That's all (laughs) y'all. For your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus is going to tell us here, or he's telling us here, don't worry about tomorrow, invest today. This is one big investment conversation. Now, if you've been reading Proverbs with us, you might think, man, one, the language is, is, is kind of similar to Solomon. He, he name drops Solomon, but he also seems to contradict Solomon. Maybe you saw this recently when you're doing your life transforming group, go to the ant, O sluggard, observe her ways and be wise, which having no chief, officer, or ruler, prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. So, so he uses similar language as Solomon. He even name drops Solomon. Is he contradicting Solomon? Which is it? Do I... Do I need to worry about tomorrow? Do I need to be faithful? Do I need to be diligent in my work? Or do I focus on today? Do I not have a storehouse? Or do I focus on today? I think he wants us to do both. And I think he's drawing us back to Solomon because they're not in conflict with each other. They're actually in concert with each other, these two ideas. I called J.D. Partain this week. Uh, most of you know J.D. Partain. Uh, he's uh, heading up the M- Missoula Boxing Club. It's a 501c3 that seeks to uh, improve the lives of, of, of students through uh, taking, taking education and boxing and kind of bringing them together. Uh, I think their motto is... Uh, books before gloves. But uh, I called JD and I said, JD, 
I imagine that when you started the Missoula Boxing Club, you were flush with cash. And I was being sarcastic. <laughs> and he couldn't see the look on my face because there was a phone call. And he didn't know what to do with my statement because it was ridiculous. Because they lived month to month to month to month for, for two years as an organization. And, and, and JD wasn't in a great position to be starting something new himself, personally. Why did he do it? JD saw a kingdom opportunity and he had enough for the day. And so he took a step of faith. He took a step of faith. See, we are called to follow Jesus, be changed by Jesus, and to be on mission with Jesus. And that's going to that's cost us. To follow Jesus, to be changed by Jesus, and be on mission with him, it's going to cost us. We will pay a cost, and we, we probably won't see a return this side of heaven. We're storing up treasures in heaven. It's going to cost us time. Our, our calendar will change because of our investment in the kingdom. It's going to cost us our talents. We're going to have to invest the best part of us into the kingdom. It's going to cost us our treasures. We'll be writing checks. We'll be changing the way we handle our, our long-term investments because of the kingdom. And Jesus seems to be indicating that there are four attitudes that get in the way of fully investing in this kingdom. Those who are in the kingdom, those who are part of the kingdom, why do we not always fully invest? Number one, sometimes we're self-seeking. We're living for me first. It's, uh, it's, it's the hedonistic lifestyle. It's the, I'm living for today. I'm living for now. I got to, I, you know, only have so much time to make money. I got, I got to make money while, while there's light out. I'm living for today. I'm self seeking. Uh, sometimes it's this attitude of scarcity. There's, there's not enough. This leads to, to hoarding. It, it's the people that are buying 20 cases of toilet paper because there might be a pandemic. Not to hand out toilet paper, but to stock their shelves. I don't know where people were putting the 20 cases. <laughs> I don't know what they were doing with those. But it's this idea that I don't think there's enough there's definitely not enough for me. And if there's not enough for me, then there's definitely not enough for you. It's the attitude of scarcity. The third one is, is worry. It's a worry of what may be. I have plenty today, but I don't know about tomorrow. I have plenty right now. I'm eating fine. I've, I got clothes. I got all these things figured out, but I 
can't quite take that step of faith because I don't know what tomorrow will bring. I better hold a few of my cards close to the vest, just in case. And number four is half-heartedness, a half-hearted trust in God. This is serving two masters. This is serving God's kingdom and my kingdom. Like, yeah, I'm going to invest in God's kingdom right after I'm done investing in my kingdom. Like, like I, I got some reserved for me and I got some reserved for him. It's God is on the throne, but I'm in the driver's seat. He's on the throne for sure, but I get to drive. I got the keys and I'm not giving them up. It's trusting God sometimes. And I, and I think this probably hits us in the room more than, than the others. As I look, it's like, I trust God except for in this circumstance. I trust God, except for when it comes to people. I trust God, except for when it comes to finances related to this issue. I trust God, except for when it comes to leadership. I trust God, but there's this one area that I'm not sure I could trust God in that. And I haven't said it yet, but that's the way I live. As I, as I was driving in, in the town this morning, I was thinking about our pup. Is there, is there anything more dangerous than a half potty trained puppy? Is there anything more dangerous than half? Like uh, yesterday, our dog, our, our new pup, she's well, what, 11 weeks old. She, she slept on her bed uh, for, well, took her out to go potty and then brought her back in and she was on her bed for, for a couple hours. And it worked out great. Christy and I were exhausted. Our dogs have a 5 a.m. clock that they like to live by. We didn't want to live by that on Saturday. And so they just played on the bed and chewed bones and it was, it was a good old time. Today didn't work out quite as well. Uh, dog was on the bed for less than a half hour and uh, took care of business at the corner of the bed. I, I think the only thing more dangerous than a, than, than a half potty trained pup, because, you know, you're walking in the middle of the night and you step into something and you turn the light on, and you're like, oh man, I thought we had this solved. The only thing more dangerous than a half potty trained pup is is a half-hearted Christian. That sometimes they're, they're on fire for, for Christ. But then sometimes there's just something. It's like, where'd they go? Why'd they just check out? What's going on with them? I think about this song by Bethel called Pieces. And the lyric says, your love's not fractured. It's not a troubled mind. It isn't anxious. It isn't the restless kind. Your love's not passive. It's never disengaged. It's always present. It hangs on every word we say. And the idea behind this song is that, God, my experience with you is different than 
my experience with everyone else in the world. Everyone else has failed me at some point. Everyone else has fallen short. Everyone else, their love's fractured. They're anxious about something. Sometimes they're passive. Sometimes they're disengaged. Sometimes they're not present even when they're in the room. But because of our experience with each other, we treat God as if that's our experience with him. We treat God like he's half-hearted towards us and therefore we're justified to be half-hearted towards him. And the truth is he's not. Truth is he's not. Because Jesus gives us three reasons to fully invest in this kingdom that, that he's establishing. Three reasons. One, God is eternal. He is eternal. He is eternal. Not only does he have the long-standing history, but he's going to be with us forever. Think about your, your investments. Think about the way your investments have maybe risen and then declined. Oh, right? Over time. Sometimes you pull up your stock portfolio and like, what happened? That can be scary. Our God is eternal. He is eternal. Number two, he is a God of abundance. We don't have to be stingy because our God's not stingy. That's, that's why Jesus, when, when the disciples came to him and there's 5,000 people there and they're like, how are we supposed to feed these people? Jesus says, you feed them. Why was Jesus so confident that they could feed him? Because he knew that his God was a God of abundance. Reminds me of a story of, of uh, and, and I can't remember the guy's name, uh, late 1800s uh, in England. Um, and he ran an orphanage. George Mueller. One day, he sat down all the children, put bowls in front of them. He didn't have anything to feed them, but he sat them down and he had them bow their heads and they thanked the Lord together for his provision. At that point, someone knocked on the door. It was a milkman. He says, I don't know why, but I'm supposed to bring you food. We have a God of abundance. We have a God of abundance. And then finally, Jesus says, our God is a good father. Our God is a good father. You can trust this God of yours. You're in relationship with him. You're part of his kingdom and he invites you to invest in his kingdom, to move his kingdom forward, to help it grow, to help it to mature, that others can be invited in. And we could do these things because of who our God is. 
And we could trust this relationship. It's a good relationship. So a couple implications. Number one, how you invest your time, talents, and treasures reveals how much you trust God. How you invest your time, your talents, your treasures reveals how much you trust your God. And I'll go back to that statement that Jesus made. If the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? If, if we see this world through a lens of like, there's just brokenness. Everything's broken, 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 broken. Woe is me. Everything sucks. I think I'll go eat mud. There's a quote in there somewhere. (laughs) If the light of Christ that is in you is dim, it's not that, it's not even that bright for you. What's it going to, how is it going to emanate to the, to the rest of the world from you? If the love that's inside of you is cold, how's it going to warm up the rest of the world? If the trust that you have in your God is limited, if it's hindered, how are you going to invite people to trust the kingdom that you're a part of. How you invest your time, talents, and treasures reveals how much you trust your God. Not your circumstances. It's not your circumstances that reveals that. It's your response. Apostle Paul said this, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. For I know how to get along with humble means. And I also know how to live in prosperity. In, in any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we love to quote that last line and separate it from the fact that that Paul is is living for the kingdom. He's investing himself fully in the kingdom to to the point he says, I have enough today. I'm eating. I got clothes on. I have enough. If the Lord wants to provide me more, that's fine. That's his deal, not mine. I have enough today, and so I'm going to continue investing in the kingdom. That's what Paul is doing. And we love the, I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But we don't want to apply that sometimes to living for the kingdom. No, it's living within the kingdom. It's living for the kingdom. It's investing your, your time, talents, and treasures in accordance to the Lord's design, like like. Not, not my design. In response to the Holy Spirit leading you, leading your family. 
as I invest in the kingdom, he sees me. He knows me. He knows what I need. Now, I, I'll go back to J.D. Partain. He's got a board. They got to make decisions. As a board, they, gotta, they have to, with wisdom, through prayer, within community, go, all right, guys, is this a, is this a faith step or is this just, you know, us living out our egos here? Nope, this is a faith step. This is about adding to God's kingdom. Okay, let's, let's take this step. I could do all things to him who strengthens me. Absolutely. But is your heart fully invested in living out the kingdom according to your particular call? See, if we're going to be following Jesus, if we're going to be changed by Jesus on mission with Jesus, then Jesus should be in charge of our time. He should be in charge of our major financial decisions. He should be in charge of where you work. He should be in charge of where you live. He should be in charge of your retirement plan. And he should be in charge of how you serve your community, how you serve your church. Those should be just given to him in prayer. And, and in submission. Number two. Your past life experiences will distort how you see the world. Taking steps of faith to further invest your time, talents, and treasures in his kingdom is the antidote. See, Jesus says that how you see this world, whether it's a good eye, it's a bad eye, it's a single eye, or if your eye is divided, your interest is divided, your past ex life experiences will distort how you see the world. Logan said this, your experiences will always influence your lens of the world. That could be good or bad. Your past experiences will always influence how you see the world. Your experiences with your parents, your experience with your friends, your experience with your church, your experience with life at large. Think about the Great Depression and how that had a had a impact on a whole generation and, and how they handled money. Like it wasn't hundred percent across the board, but by and large, you see someone saving every paper bag, you know what generation they come from. You know what their experience was. Jesus is inviting in the outsiders, the prostitute, the tax collector, and yet he says, you will become perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. But, the, but our experiences get in the way. Those experiences from our past get in our way. We don't, we don't always re respond to today just based off of what's happening today. Oftentimes we see it through the lens of what happened yesterday. And we got to know that and we got to let Jesus change that perspective. The prostitute probably went hungry at some point. Compromised to get what they needed and viewed relationships through a certain lens. 
the tax collector saw money as a tool and probably thought people really can't be trusted. That's what people thought of the tax collector too, though. <laughs> sure, that's bi-directional. We got to allow God to heal our hearts from those past experiences when we're living half-hearted, when our interests are divided, or, or, or we're just trying to feed ourselves and take care of ourselves when we're living a selfish life. When we see the world from a scarcity standpoint that says, I'm not sure there's going to be enough. Or when we worry about what tomorrow may bring. We, we have plenty for today and we know God's calling us to something, but we're unwilling to take that step of faith because we don't know what will happen tomorrow. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Press deeper into his kingdom and his righteousness. Take steps of faith pursuing his kingdom and his righteousness. That, that is the antidote. That's how we move beyond our past experiences. We create new experiences. We create faith-filled experiences when we take those steps with Christ. So I want you to take a moment and consider what attitudes are holding you back. Are there steps of faith that you need to be taking? Is God calling you to something, but uh, there's something in the way. There's an attitude there's a view of the world, there's a fear, there's something in the way if you've taken that step of faith and fully investing in the way God is calling you to invest. Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a church focused on relational discipleship and located in Missoula, Montana, if you are in the Missoula area, we would love to have you come and join us for worship. Service times, location, and all kinds of other fun stuff can be found on our website, missionridge.church. You can connect with Mission Ridge Church through Facebook or Instagram, so give us a like or follow. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church. We'll catch you on the flip side. Thanks for tuning in.